Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Let's give our attention to God's word this morning. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further. Heavenly Father, these are your words. You are a God that does in fact reveal himself to us. And so we pray this morning that for these words to do that, to show us something about you, Lord, then you will have to be here by your Holy Spirit to teach them. You have promised to do so, and Lord, we ask that that would in fact happen. And we pray this expectantly, hopefully, confidently, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first moved off campus, I went to Ole Miss, and the first year that I moved off campus was my junior year. And so moving off campus was the first time that I needed to buy a bed. And so... Me and three of my buddies were moving into what we thought was going to be this great house. It's this big white house, really close to campus, and we thought it was going to be great. And it turned out that it was, it was not so great. Generally, if college students can afford it, it's not going to be so great. It's a good rule of thumb. And so I lived upstairs, and to get upstairs, it had this very tight and winding staircase to get up there. And so I was concerned about the fact that my box, you know, I go buy box springs that they're not going to be able to make this turn. So I go down to the store and I talk to the guy and I decide what I, what I want. And so as we're finishing up, I say, the staircase is really tight. Are, you know, are we going to be able to get it in? And he says, guarantee it. My guys will get it in. And I said, well, are you sure? Because it's, I mean, do you need, to, do you need me to measure it? Do you need to come look at it? He said, he kept saying, I guarantee it. My guys will get it in. Guarantee. Guarantee. And so finally I said, or, or it's free? And he paused and he said, my guys will get it in. Guaranteed. So you can imagine where this story is going. I was not able to be there when they delivered the mattress. I come home in Box Springs. Come back later that night. And there at the bottom of the steps, my Box Springs mattress made it up. And... My roommates told me they tried really hard, but it wasn't going. And so there I am, right, stuck with this, mat, with this box springs that won't go upstairs. And that's it. It's in my hands now. It's, it's up to me. Uh, the guy kept saying that he, he guaranteed it. 
right? Guarantee, guarantee. Or what? And he had no answer. So really he gave me no assurance that I would come out any better, right? No assurance that I was going to get what I needed, get my box springs upstairs. And so there, in life, you know, general lesson for life, right? There are not a lot of assurances in life. Um, but I think that's what our passage here ha- deals with and has for us. I think our question is, is the Christian life the same way? Is there any assurance in the Christian life? Is there any sort of guarantee? A little background on the book of Philippians. Uh, the Philippians are actually, uh, might be in somewhat the same situation. The guy that, they might be in need of some encouragement. Here's their circumstance. The guy that planted their church, Paul, who's writing this, is in jail. The guy that they sent, uh, one of their own they sent with him, is, has been very sick and almost died. Uh, some people in their church are teaching false doctrine. And apparently some of their church members are not getting along so well. So things don't seem to be going as well as they, uh, maybe as, as the way they started. And so I think some of these Philippians might well be wondering, is this the way it's going to be? Are we going to start strong and then just sort of fade out? Is this thing going to last? What's going to happen? And I think maybe some of us are dealing with some of the same questions. Have you, certainly you felt like that. Maybe you feel like that right now. Is this Christian thing going to work out? Is God going to stick with me? Am I going to start strong and just sort of fade out? So maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need some assurance. And I, would, I hope that you see this morning that that's what this passage offers to us. Assurance. And I want to see that in three ways this morning. Number one, we'll see that God began the good work. Number two, that God will finish the good work. And then thirdly and finally, that God is growing us into the good work. So first, God began the good work. It's God that began the good work. We see that in verses 3 through six, through the beginning of verse 6. I want you to notice what an encouragement Paul is to them right off the bat. He reminds them of how much he prays for them, how much he appreciates them. He's thankful for their partnership in the gospel that they've prayed for him, that they've financially supported him, that they've sent people to visit. He encourages them. Basically, he's, he's thankful for them that they're on board with the gospel. And they're on board with the proclamation and the spread of the gospel. But I want you to notice, notice who it is that Paul thanks for those things. These things that the Philippians have exhibited and done for him. I want you to see that Paul, Paul thanks God for the good work that he sees in them. That might seem strange at first. But Paul doesn't say, Philippians, good job. Philippians, congratulations. Philippians, I thank you for what you've done. He thanks God for the good work that he's seen in them. Because it's in fact God that's begun the good work in them. We see that in verse 6. God was the beginning point of their salvation. And not... Not them in and of themselves, but it was God who began a good work in them. We even get a sort of an inside, behind-the-scenes look at one of the Philippians' conversions in Acts. 
Acts chapter 16, verses 14 says this. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. See it laid out very clearly there. That the reason these Philippians are changed people is because God began a good work in them. Not because they decided to, not that they stirred up their emotions enough. Not that they reached out to God enough. But because God began a good work in, in them and in us. It's God that initiates the work of salvation. And He has to because of our, because of our natures. Because of what you and I, because of the mere fact of how we're, that we're born as humans, because of what our nature is. And that's that our nature is sinful. Our nature is actually to turn away from God. And we'll do it every time, if given the chance. Amy and I have been watching a lot of History Channel, mainly for Swamp People. If you haven't seen Swamp People, you need to watch it. But I couldn't make an illustration out of that one, so that's just a plug. I think the History Channel has changed CEOs or something because their programming is not history, but it's enjoyable. Um, so we've been watching the show about people with very unusual or sort of superhuman abilities or strengths. And I watched this one about this guy that could eat anything. And he would eat light bulbs. And so they x-rayed him. They did the whole bit. He's honest to goodness eating light bulbs, eating the glass and the whole thing. It's unbelievable. Now, I, wanna, I want you to imagine that if you didn't eat for a whole day, you, know, you, you embarked on this little experiment with me, and then I put before you a wonderful assortment of light bulbs. And whatever your favorite meal is, and I said, you may choose, you're free to choose whichever one you would like. Have at it. I think it's pretty obvious which one you're going to choose. You're going to choose the food, the, the human food, every time. Why? Because that's what's natural to you. You're free to choose the light bulbs if you, if you want to be on TV. But you're not going to choose that because it's not natural to eat that. And the only way in which you would choose something like that, something against your nature, is if something inside of you were changed, like this guy, right? If something inside of your very nature, what makes you up, were different. And that's why God has to initiate the work of salvation. That's why it's God who begins the good work in us because our natures are bent towards sin and we will choose it like food over light bulbs every time unless God works into our hearts like he says he, like we have evidence of with Lydia, reaches inside of our hearts and changes our nature. God must begin the good work it must be Him that changes our natures. And so we say this is an encouragement, though. It seems strange to talk about our sinful natures as encouragement, but I want to suggest absolutely it is because it shifts the foundation of our salvation from us to God. And so you can already begin to see that, that's, that there's assurance there because if I started this good work of my Christian life, if, if first and foremost, sort of fundamentally, it was up to me, 
then there's always a question mark around it. If it was how sincere I was when I accepted Christ, if if that's the, the basis of the good work in me, then can I always go back and ask myself and wonder, was I sincere enough? Did I, did I really believe enough? Do I now? Or if it's on my performance, can I always look at my performance and say, has it, has it really been good enough? Of course it hasn't. And so if we are what we are, if you're a child of God, not because of anything that you've done, but because God began a good work in you, then you can begin to see how that's an encouragement. That there's some assurance there. So it's good news that God's begun the good work in us, but Paul's not done. Paul says, our second point, Paul says that God will finish the good work. He'll finish the good work. We see that in the second half of verse 6. In the beginning, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He'll bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says this in several other places as well. 1 Corinthians 1, 7-9 says, So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship, into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here Paul says that he is sure of this. He's sure that God will will complete the good work that he's begun. He begins the good work and then he sees it through to the end. Uh, This last week, just a few days ago, uh, while we were in Lexington for Presbytery, uh, the day before, Brad Rogers, uh, the RUF guy in Lexington, and I were playing golf, which is part of our job requirement. And we were in this... uh, the golf course we were playing winds through this neighborhood that was a pretty nice neighborhood, pretty big homes. And uh, on one of the holes, I noticed something that just really caught my eye. That among all these nice homes was this one house, or this one uh, lot, rather. And it had a foundation, the beginning of the basement, and that was it. And there were weeds all grown up over it. So you could tell that it, you know, they weren't coming back tomorrow to work on this thing. And... Uh, you know, I pointed out to Brad, I said, that's, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because it's the only one like that. Like, the, the neighborhood is established and done. And he said, yeah, I guess somebody just, you know, they started and just couldn't finish. Just didn't have enough money. And so I think the question for us is, am I going to be like that? Am I going to be like that foundation that, you know, somebody that started out well in the Christian life and then for whatever reason, just, it didn't finish? And I, and I sort of stick out and weeds growing all over me. So how do we know that God's going to do this? Certainly Paul says it here. But how does Paul know that God's going to do it? Well, like we just read in Corinthians, and first, if you're taking notes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, we know that God is going to complete the good work because it says He is faithful. God is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever. Like we said earlier this morning. God's faithful to His covenant. 
He makes promises to His people. And they're actually promises made on both ends. And He is always faithful to keep His end of the promise. And the wonder of it, the wonder of the Christian message of the Gospel is that not only is God always faithful to keep His promise, to keep His end of the bargain, he, he He never breaks His end of the deal. The wonder of it is that we always break our end of the deal and God is faithful to keep our end as well. And that's what we see borne out on the cross. Seen in, in vivid detail on the cross. That God is bearing the punishment of those that have broken covenant for us. Right? We're the ones that have broken covenant. And God takes our punishment. He keeps His end and our end as well. As well. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross, one of the things that He says is, it is finished. It's finished. What does he mean by that? Does he, just, does he mean, finally, this pain's over, I'm about to die? Well, maybe. But he means well, what we're talking about, that the salvation of my people is finished. It's finished. And Jesus even tells us that nothing will stop him from finishing the good work in us. That he started. Remember in John 10, 10, 28 through 30, he says this I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father am one. And that's an encouragement. To have the Lord Jesus Himself say that no one, no thing can snatch my children out of my hand. Now this is going to be a bad illustration, but I'm going to tell it. Amy and I several years ago went to, uh, we were in Memphis, and we had, to, uh, we had an afternoon to kill. And so we, uh, we went to the movies, right, good so far, and we chose to go see King Kong. And that's where it went horribly wrong. Because if you need to kill an afternoon, go see King Kong. Kill the whole thing. It's at least three hours long. And I'm telling this illustration just so I can feel that I, my money went to something. So if you're not familiar with King Kong, right, it's your standard um, gigantic beast, falls in love with beautiful actress plot line, right? And at one point in King Kong, and this is the, you know, obviously the newer version, they're in this sort of Jurassic Park prehistoric world and these dinosaurs are chasing after King after Kong because they want the the woman. And so he's holding her in his hand or foot or whatever it is, but we're going to have to say hand for the illustration. He's holding this woman in his hand, right? Protecting her cuz she, she belongs to him. And then this amazing fight scene erupts. Dinosaurs attacking Kong. They're flying all over the place and rolling. and It's it's intense. And yet, she is incredibly safe. You're actually really not even worried about her because she's in his hand. And he's fighting off these creatures and it's all going crazy. 
and as goofy as that is, it's a, it's a decent, it's a taste of what, what this is getting at. That no matter how crazy things get, no matter what's going on, what's attacking us, whatever is assailing us, that we are safe in God's hand and nothing can pull us out. Certainly that's an encouragement to us. How so? For one, it's, it's only that kind of assurance that's going to let us deal with our guilty consciences, let us be honest about ourselves, and let us go to sleep at night. Right? That, that salvation is not like my box springs that get dropped off and say, hey, I've, well, he didn't give me box springs, but here are your box springs. Good luck with that. Hope you get where you need to go, right? That, that God does not give us salvation and say, look, I've given you something great. Don't mess it up. I'll be over here. That's not the picture at all. That we're safe in God's hand. That He will bring us to completion. But when our sinful selves discourage us, we can know that because of God's grace, that not even my own sinfulness that still resides in me can pull me out of God's hand. I'm safe even from that. Helps us to face discouraging circumstances, right? To know that it's... To know that God is actually still for us in the midst of those. That He's still working on us. That He's completing us. He's going to bring us to completion. But Paul's not done. The question is, so how does that happen? Is the Christian just sort of on autopilot? What does it look like? Well, thirdly and finally, I want us to see that not only has God begun the good work in us, and that God will bring this good work to completion, but that God is growing us into this good work. Verses 7 through 11. Paul finishes this section of his letter by telling the Philippians what he prays for them. He prays that God will keep growing them into what he knows God has already started and is is still working on. And Paul will talk more about this later in the letter, so we won't, uh, now's not the time, but Paul's encouraging them by reminding them that Christians Christians are works in progress. Christians are works in progress. We're not completed. But it's in fact, it's because of the good things that Paul has seen in them that he continues to pray for them, right? He, knows that, he sees the evidence that God has begun this good work in them. He knows God will, will bring it to completion for sure. And so he prays for them that they will grow in that very thing that God has called them to do and that God is going to accomplish. So in other words, I guess we could say, you see how closely the Bible ties the the concepts of the fact that as saints, we we must persevere. And yet, it is God who perseveres His saints. Both are true. Both are held up to us as true. And Paul gives us a picture of what that looks like. So what does it look like? Well, just a couple things. First, we can say this. We can say that 
our growth in Christ will be gradual. Paul says his words are more and more. I find myself using that phrase a lot as I meet with students, as we talk about the gospel and how it might apply to a particular situation, how, they, how the gospel might change them, that it will be more and more. That is to say that it's not, it's not an instant fix. That it's not simply, we're going to talk about the gospel and you're going to understand it, and then that problem's going to go away. You're not going to struggle with that, that idolatry or whatever it is. But more and more, it's a gradual process. I used to have, I guess, uh, all the way up until and through college, I used to have a full head of hair. Um, and surprisingly enough, this is a voluntary decision. I used to have a full head of hair, and so when I started cutting my hair closer, which my parents did not like at all, uh, a couple years into that, my sister was getting married. And so I decided so that my mom would not cry through the whole wedding that I would grow my hair back the way it had always been. And so if I, if you look at your hair, if you try to look at your hair and see, is it growing, right? I got my hair cut last night, actually. If you go and look at your hair every day, you're not going to be able to see it grow, right? Common sense. If you go back and you stare in the mirror, it just doesn't look like it's growing. But if you come back two weeks later, you're going to see the growth. It's slow. It's gradual. And I think the Christian life, I think what Paul's saying is the Christian life is very much the same way. Growth is gradual. It may not, it, if you stare at it, you may not see the, see the growth that you want. It takes a long, it, it, takes, it takes time. And you actually may not be the best judge of it. You probably, for yourself, might need to ask one of your friends. Do you see me growing? How do you see me growing? It's gradual. Secondly, uh, we see the content of the growth. Paul says that Christians grow in love, knowledge, and discernment. Love, knowledge, and discernment. That we grow in love. That we grow in our love for Christ. That we grow in loving other people. He says that we'll grow in knowledge. And it, it might be strange to some of you that, that Paul would list that. So, uh, you know, it's one of the, the main ways in which we're going to grow as Christians. It will grow in knowledge. But Paul says it. And I think it makes sense if, you, if we think about it. You know, I'm, I'm married to Amy. It's my wife. But I don't just simply rest in that fact, right? I, I want to I know more about Amy. If I truly love Amy, I want to know, know more about her. I want to know the things that, that she enjoys. Uh, I want to know what makes her happy. I want to know more about her, her love for me. I want, to know, I want to know everything about her. I want to grow in that knowledge. Now, if I didn't do that, that would be bad. We would still be married, sure. But that's not, that's not a good relationship. I want to grow in my knowledge. And so that's why we do things like read our Bibles. It's why we study doctrine. It's why we're students of the Scripture. Not for those things in and of themselves, but for a purpose, to get to know our Savior better. And then thirdly, love, knowledge, and discernment. The idea of the word would be to, to know the difference. To be able to judge between right and wrong. 
to love judiciously. And all that, so as Paul says, all that we also that we may approve what is excellent. Paul says that more and more, we're going to grow to understand and love and choose right and wrong. We're going to be able to discern. And the third thing, the last thing that we can say about how God grows us in this good work is that it's active. It's active. We're active participants in God growing us. We're not robots. It's not a passive participation. We don't, uh, as the sort of current friend, current a few years ago, we don't just let go and let God. We're actively involved. That's why Paul actually tells us things to do and to be like. Because we're called to do those things and be like those things. We're called to bear fruit. And so, let me end by just making a couple of quick applications. First, I guess I would just say this, that doesn't that sound good? Or I hope that sounds good to you. I hope it's an encouragement to you. That for the Christian, if you're a Christian, that you have the the confidence to know that the, the gross stuff inside of you that still lives there, the sin that's ultimately been taken care of but still resides, that those gross things are being worked out by the power of God. That God is, God is actively working on you to change you, to grow you, to put sin to death. And like I've said before, sort of maybe I beat this phrase to death, but the encouragement that sin doesn't get to win in the end. That the sin that you feel like Ends up winning every day, maybe. This comes along, I think, and gives us a little encouragement that it feels like it wins now, but it doesn't get to win in the end. And if you're not a Christian, I would ask you, is that encouragement something that you would like? Would you like to have that assurance? Would you like to know what God is, what God is up to? And that God offers himself to you. Would, you. would you love to leave here knowing how you stand with God? And that, and that that standing is that he's completely pleased with you. And I would simply tell you the good news that I think we see here in this passage, and I would argue in every passage, that that's exactly what God has for you. That what God has revealed to you is that he has offered himself for you, that, that God is that Jesus is, has died for you. And that He calls you to repent and believe. To come to Him and take it. God is a God that's offered us wonderful assurance of what He's done. That He's begun the good work. That He's continuing the good work. And that He's growing us into that good work even now. Do you know a God of grace and of assurance? because he's offered to you this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you great praise that you would come and accomplish these things. That you would come on our behalf and live in our place and live the life that we could not live. And that you would die in our place, dying the death that we very much deserved. And that you would even be so gracious not just to do that, 
but to continue to provide us assurance through your word. That you would continue to remind us, as weak as we are, that we did not begin in and of ourselves, and we will not continue or finish in and of ourselves. But God, you will do it because you love us. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we forget that. And encourage us even more today, we pray. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.